Well, good afternoon. It is such a pleasure to be back gathered together again to, to spend some time worshiping our Lord, sing, singing praises to His name, remembering as we have already done once uh, already today and, 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 we'll, and we'll still continue to, to think about and, and re- be reminded of the death that our, our Savior paid and that price that He paid and what that means for you and me. Alan is right that tonight my lesson is not going to be a very very long lesson, very um, not going to go into a lot of different places. We're going to be a really one thought as we go throughout our, our lesson today, and that is from the song number 253, "Heaven will surely be worth it all." A song that was written <clears throat> a song that was written by an Oliver W. Oliver Cooper, and it was composed. The melody was arranged by Minzo C. Jones. And as I sing this song, I'm often th- reminded of two thoughts. These thoughts come to my mind often whenever I sing this song. That there's the sacrifices that faithful Christians must often make. The things that we're going to be faced with if we are going to be disciples of Christ. And then the glories of heaven. The glories of what is to come for those who remain faithful. Now I don't know if you noticed, but at the very top of that song is a passage. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. It says, The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That is, a, that is some really encouraging words that Paul wrote there in Romans chapter 8. He also wrote over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said there in verse 17, Momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. Will heaven be worth it all? Paul seemed to think yes. It will. It will be worth everything. But it never hurts to be reminded what it costs and what that reward will be for true disciples. Over in Luke chapter 9, we see one of the first things that I want to notice this afternoon. Luke chapter 9. Start reading with me in verse 23. Luke 9.23 says, And He was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after Me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, And follow me, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. Jesus was telling us that here there is a cost for following me, and that cost means giving up everything for me, especially yourself. One thing that maybe we don't always think about is that when we first come to Christ, and if we are going to continue to be in Christ, we need to lose ourselves in Christ. We need to lose our identity in Christ. But that does not mean that we become drones. In fact, if we will give our whole self to Christ, He will take what we give Him, He will purify it, and He will make it better and give it back. And say, this is what you are to go out and to be. You are to be, you, you are to be yourself cleansed and made whole by Christ. That's what He wants. But to do that, we must put Him first. Must him put him first before ourself. Luke, as we keep reading down here, we must put him first before what the world has to offer. Verse 25 says, For whatever a man profits, if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. What does he profit? We must put God before all, we must put Christ before all this. And over in chapter 14, chapter 14 and verse 26, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father or mother, wife and children and brother and sister, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. In fact, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. 
I came to bring a sword. I came to bring contention between a mother and a father and a son and daughter and son-in-law and daughter-in-law. In fact, your enemies are going to be within your house. But Jesus is saying, and all of this is the cost for following after me. We also read in Luke 14, in verse 27, that we again must be willing to suffer for Christ. Verse 27 says, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Living in an ungodly world, is, that is something that we are going to be faced with. And you know, I still, especially not so much when the weather was cold, but as the weather started to warm up, we've had some pretty days. I've seen some of these people carrying their cross down the road. If you see sometimes uh, 27 that runs between Lexington and Nicholasville, they have that cross and they've got the nice little wheel at the bottom of it so they can drag it up and down the road and they're bearing their cross. That's not what he's talking about in this passage. He's not talking about bearing a a, a physical timber uh, if it came to it. That that is something that that the first century and several centuries later had to deal with. But when God is telling us to bear our cross and to follow after Him, He's saying, you have to suffer. You will have to suffer. In fact, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12 that these are things you are going to face if you are going to be a follower of Christ. 2 Timothy 3, in verse 12, he said, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Maybe it will be a physical persecution like that that the first century did. Maybe it will be something that physically happens to you. Oftentimes it will be a verbal persecution. Luke chapter 6 makes that clear. But there will be those that, that, that curse you. There will be those that use you. Luke 6, verse 27 and 28. It says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. We have to suffer if we are going to be a disciple. That is something that is included in in the cost of that. We must endure for Christ's sake, though. There are things that we must endure that are personal, that don't come from outside. A lot of times they come from inward. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27, we must endure our own personal weaknesses. I don't think that's something that we maybe all the time really think about. We think about the cost that is exterior to us, but there's things that are interior as well. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27, says, But I discipline my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. We have to be looking inwardly, and we have to be making sure that, that we, are, we are suffering for the right reasons. That whenever we come to Christ, we are putting away things that are opposed to Christ. Things that are, that, that are a part of that old life that we have come from, and we are putting those so far away that they're not going to reinfect us at some future date. So these are personal weaknesses that we must struggle and suffer through. And anyone who says that, that, that Christianity is an easy religion has not truly lived it. It is hard. Because there are things that are opposing to the Spirit that come seemingly naturally to the flesh. And these are things that we are called to put away. But we also oftentimes face disappointments, not just from an inward, uh, an inward perspective, but we face face disappointments from an external perspective as well from our own brothers and sisters in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 11, in verse 29, Paul says, Who is weak without my being weak? And who is led into sin without my intense concern? Whenever our brothers and our sisters, whenever the brethren do things that we know that are wrong, that's suffering for us. That's hard for us if we truly care about them. 
So when there is apathy and when there is neglect, guess what? That produces a problem for us. It produces slothful services. When there is irregular attendance, it makes it difficult for us to be able to depend on our brethren. When there are those who are unwilling to serve others, it puts extra burden on the ones who are willing to suffer or willing to serve. And when there is murmuring and complaining, that hinders the efforts of those that are trying to do something. So yes, even disappointments from other brethren is a suffering that we are called to endure. But even if we are blessed to escape all that, even if somehow we don't have any personal uh, suffering from in a physical sense or from a, a, a verbal sense, even if we somehow just don't have any sins that we struggle with, we had everything right, and even if we don't have any, all of our brothers and sisters are absolutely perfect. We talked about this morning, that is not the case. But let's just live in that, that nice world there for a moment. Even then, we don't escape suffering because we still have to work. We still have to go out into the world that is marred with sin. And we have to tell them about Christ and promote His cause to them. And we have to do that in positive ways. And a lot of times we have to do that alone. A lot of times we have to do that with just a, a, a few number of people. And a lot of times we have to do that in difficult places where the efforts that we put forth are not appreciated. So discipleship can be costly. We talked about this last Sunday. Discipleship can be costly. But what we didn't focus a whole lot of time on was whether or not it was worth it. We just kind of glanced over that and we spoke about it for a minute. But this song that we just sang suggests that even though we are hindered, we are burdened with trials and toils and tears and many heartaches, the Lord tells us through the Word that heaven is surely worth it all. And one of the best places I like to turn to and think about that is 2 Corinthians chapter 11. From the pen of Paul, and I like to look at the life that he was living. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 23. This passage says, <clears throat> excuse me. Second Corinthians 11:23 says, are they, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if I speak as insane. I'm going to start over. I apologize. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane, I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten time without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jewish 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardships through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from such things external, or apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. And that's when he goes to this verse in verse 29. Who is weak without me being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? Why does that give me hope? Why does that lift me up? We read that passage and you read that and go, how on earth can we get hope from the passage like this? Look what Paul was going through. It's because what Paul said in spite of all these things. Turn back just a little bit to 2 Corinthians 5. What did Paul have to look forward to? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1, he said, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He said this, this life that we live here now, it is so temporal, it is so primitive, it is so 
lower than what we have waiting for us in heaven. It's a tent compared to a building, compared to a house. It is, it is not where we are intended to spend our, our, our lives in. It is what we are waiting. We were waiting here until we get to that which is better. Even through all these hardships, he said, I look forward to that house not built with man's hands. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7. He said, so that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His graceness and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He said, I endure all these these painful things, all of this physical torture, all of this mental anguish. I endure all this because of the riches of God's grace. Because of what God gives to me through grace and through Christ Jesus. In Philippians 3, Philippians 3, verse 20 and 21. He says, I endure these things because I am transformed. <clears throat> Philippians 3, 20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into the conformity of, with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. He says, I look forward to that day when all this physical pain all these physical things that are not that we go through, I'm not going to have to feel that anymore. I'm not going to be burdened by the, the ache in my stomach because I haven't eaten. I'm not going to be burdened by the ache in my stomach because of the intense anxiety I am under because of all the churches. I am going to have a new body. I am going to be gloriously transformed into the, the perfect image, into the Spirit which is given through Christ. In 2 Timothy 4, in verse 8, he described it like this. 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, he said, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. He said, I look forward to that day when I will no longer be, I will no longer be just a, just a, 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 mind, a, a, a toiling, struggling preacher. I will be wearing a crown. I will be crowned in glory with the King. I will be setting with Him for all eternity. No more am I being disrespected and, and beaten and, and, and humiliated and robbed. And I will finally be with my King, setting with Him, glorified with Him through all eternity. And then he said in 2 Timothy 4, verse 18, that what really helped him get through all this and what he really focused on in all of this was the fact that that kingdom that was coming was a heavenly kingdom. In chapter four, or 2 Timothy 4, verse 18, he said, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to His heavenly kingdom. To, be, to Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul, Paul got it. That heaven is going to be worth all the pain and all the hardship that we go through in this, this very short physical life that we are called to live. But Paul wasn't the only one. In fact, listen to the way Paul talked about some of his fellow apostles. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 4. 1 Corinthians 4 and verses 9 through 13. <clears throat> 
Here we read, For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all, as men condemned to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless. And we toil, working with our own hands and we are reviled. We bless when we are persecuted. We endure when we are slandered. We try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things even until now. Paul's talking about the apostles here. He's talking about men like Peter. Peter who... Who Jesus told uh, in the last few days of his life, he said, Peter, you look after my flock. You look after these people that are going to follow after me. And now Paul is saying, this is some time later, Paul is saying, you know what? These people that God has put so much trust in to do this, they are, they are viewed as very terrible people by the world. They are viewed as less than, than dirt. They are scum to the world. But, when we think of the way the world viewed Peter, again, we can look to what he had to say about whether or not he thought it was worth it to be viewed in that way. 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 4. Even with the world looking at him like that, and all the things that Peter had to go through, verse 4 we read, "...to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved for you in heaven." He said, that's still where my mind is at. Yes, it is hard. And yes, I am mocked and ridiculed and, and beaten and, and, and disrespected and I am not held in any sort of esteem. But I have something waiting for me that is imperishable, that cannot be defiled. In fact, in 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter 3 verses 13 in 14, Peter said this, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. and Do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet with gentleness and reverence. Peter was saying in these passages, he was saying, Look, look at what is out there in front of you. And I apologize, I read 1 Peter chapter 3, which fit kind of well with my point, but that wasn't the passage I intended to read. 2 Peter 3, verse 13 and 14. But even in that passage, Peter was saying, you look, you look to what you have whenever times are tough. You look to what you have in the future to give you strength. And in 2 Peter 3, verse 13 and 14, the passage I intended to read, says, according to His promise, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in Him in peace, spotless, and blameless. Peter was able to, to look to these things because he knew that was worth it. To be called the scum of the earth, to be, to be homeless, to have no, no provision for him made except for that provision which was eternal. And that provision which was worth so much more than anything he could receive on this earth. And then likewise, we have John. And the things that John endured for the sake of Christ. 
seen very, very vividly depicted in Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. And even though it is depicted so, so vividly in just a few words, oftentimes we miss exactly what's being said here in this passage. Revelation 1.9 says, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and testimony of Jesus. What is Paul, or excuse me, John, what is John saying in this passage? He is saying, I have been exiled to Patmos because I preached Jesus. Because I told people about Jesus and about what he required of them and what they were to do, and they threw me onto an island. And this is not this is not an island getaway. This is not something that we really should look at and go, that doesn't sound that bad, Paul. You got your own little island. Actually, this was much more like what Australia used to be. This was a home for convicts. This is where people were sent when Rome said, you know what, you're a troublemaker, you get out of here. You get out of here, you don't have rights to, to live in our, in our mainlands anymore. You go out and you live on this island. And Paul would have very likely been about 80, 85 years old when this happened. This, this was so much more than exile. This was a death sentence. Now it was very, very likely that they sent somebody with, Paul, with John. It's not considered uh, likely that John wrote everything that is in the, 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 the revelation of Jesus to John. That he had someone, that he dictated it and they wrote it. So it's very likely he had someone helping him. But still, this is a huge, huge suffering for Christ because he stood and he preached the truth. But even with all that suffering going on, did John think it was worth it? He was certainly blessed to be shown that it is. In Revelation chapter 7, Revelation 7 verses 9 through 10, he has shown this. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation, all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in their white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There is a triumph that comes for those, or excuse me, there is a blessing that comes for those who are triumphant over tribulation. Whenever there is a, a, a problem in our way and it is so big, like the problems that the, the apostles were dealing with, the struggles that they saw, decisions that they had to make that were intensely hard, but they were triumphant. But they said, we will not bend. We will keep marching on. There is a blessing that comes from that in eternity. And that blessing is seen here in this great multitude. We're not going to be there by ourselves. I think it's, it's something that's, you know, sometimes our, our children ask, you know, are, are, are you going to be with us in heaven? Are we going to see each other in heaven? Not only are we going to see each other in heaven, we are going to see all those throughout history that have been faithful to God. We will be together, we will be innumerous, and we will be shouting out with a loud voice, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We will be praising Him with such a great chorus. In verse 13-17, through 17, the same passage, we also read, Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, those who are clothed in white robes, who are they and where have they come from? 
In verse 14, I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And for this reason they are before the throne of God, and they serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will spread His tabernacle over them. They will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away will wipe every tear from their eyes. John was, was, was blessed to have been shown this with his own eyes. This is what you have to look forward to. This is your reward for the cost that you pay to follow me. In Revelation 21, it's funny that whenever, whenever there's a sermon preached from Revelation, there's the, the, the passages you can guarantee are going to be looked at. Or 1, 2, and 3, and 21 through 22. Revelation 21 has some very powerful words for us to remind us that there is a destiny for the redeemed, and that destiny is going to be spent forever with God. Verses 1 through 7 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He will dwell among them. And they shall be His people, and God Himself will be among them. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And He who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And He said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And then He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of of the water of life without cost. And he who overcomes will inherit all these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. What an awesome, awesome view that is painted for us. I've heard it said before that John was tasked with painting the unpaintable. What an awesome view that is depicted for us as followers of Christ that if we will overcome, if we will remain faithful until death, there is a humongous and indescribable reward that awaits. So can there really be any comparison? Romans 8 verse 18, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory of which shall be revealed in us. No, there is no comparison. Between a few years, a a short period of time of hardship and pain and struggle, and an eternity of bliss in the presence of God, heaven will surely be worth it all. We have read the words of those like Paul and Peter and John, and maybe we ask ourselves, what if they could... What if they could return and speak to us today? Or what if our loved ones who have went on before us and who died in Christ could return and speak to us today? We think of that that parable in Luke 16 of the rich man and Lazarus. And what was it that that the parable depicted? It illustrated a man who wanted to, to protect his family wanted them not to make the mistakes he was making. For those who have, who have went on before us, 
If they had the ability, if it was something that you could go like John was able to do to see a glimpse into what was to come. If we had that same thing today, would they not come back and they say, you know what, the, the, the pain that I went through in this life, the, the mockery that was made of me, the things that I missed that everyone said I was, oh, I was missing the good stuff. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't missing it. Whatever the cost of following Jesus in this life is, may the words of that song that we had just sang, and may the promise of the Holy Scriptures remind and comfort us to be faithful and to persevere. In Hebrews chapter 10, we're studying this right now in the, in the adult class. Hebrews chapter 10, we get this. We get this message that is so important for us. In verses 35 and 36. It says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Brothers and sisters, we have need of endurance because we have a great reward. And it is worthy to fight for every step of the way, every day in this journey, to, con- to be confident in that and to fight for our best for the Lord. This afternoon, if there, if there is something that we can do for you to help you in this journey that we are on, in this journey that we are making towards that reward and towards heaven, and along that journey we face trials and we face temptations and we face hardships, and if somewhere along the way things have gotten too heavy, I want you to know that they're not. The devil, he gets in your ear and he whispers and he wants you to think that I can't do it. But what was Christ's words to those that he invited? He said, come to me because my my burden is, is way too heavy and my yoke is just unbelievably too hard. No. He said it is light. It is easy. And he gives us strength. And he gives us wisdom if we ask. And brothers and sisters, that's what we are here for, is to lift one another up. So if there is something that, you have, uh, something that has caused you to, to turn away from God and during a hardship or, or, or some way that you have sinned, or if you have a need to come to Him in obedience and submission to His, to His kingship, think of those words and think of this invitation as we sing number 270, Give Me Thy Heart.